Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is the second episode on Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth I, based on the new book by Tracy Borman, Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth I, The Mother and Daughter Who Forever Changed British History. I will put a link up in the show notes at englandcast.com slash Anne so that you can get the full book and dive way deeper than I can into podcast episodes. Again, that's englandcast.com slash Anne. So like I said, this is actually the second in the series, and it looks at how Elizabeth continued to be influenced by Anne even after Anne's death throughout Elizabeth's early life. If you didn't listen to the first part, you can stop now and go do that. I'll wait. So just press pause and go listen to the first one. Assuming you're still listening, then you will have listened to the first one already. So we will move on. But before we get started, TudorCon. You guys, we're like nine months away from TudorCon 2023. It's crazy. We have some new speakers confirmed. I said, I think before we have the fabulous Adrian Dillard. She has a new book out you should check out. Um, we've got a whole bunch of speakers. We've got all kinds of stuff happening. So englandcast.com slash TudorCon, grab your tickets and start to plan your trip to Lancaster, Pennsylvania next September 8th through 10th. That's englandcast.com slash TudorCon to come to Lancaster and commune with all of your fellow Tudor enthusiasts. One thing I'm going to say about this is I have had a couple of people ask me about coming by themselves. Specifically, they felt a little weird coming on their own because they didn't know anybody who was coming and they didn't know what that was going to be like. So I just want to assure you that if you're somebody who's coming on your own, we have had so many people come by themselves without knowing anybody. And I think the TutorCon group might be the friendliest group of people in the world. We had a lot of people last time who actually commented that they came by themselves and they were a little nervous coming by themselves, but they met some of their future best friends there. Um, And, you know, people make friends so quickly. Everybody who's there is there because they all made this trip to experience a weekend with other tutor lovers. 
So even if you want to come by yourself and if you're a little nervous about that, um, it will be amazing and you will meet people really quickly. And that's what I want to say about that. So englandcast.com slash tutorcon to learn more. So now, Anne and Elizabeth, we had left off with Henry VIII and Jane Seymour getting married and people even potentially questioning Elizabeth's paternity. Jane Seymour wasn't doing much to help Elizabeth, given that she was, of course, the daughter of Jane's rival, Anne Boleyn. So Elizabeth may have been quite lonely, but as all of the trauma and stress of the summer of 1536 began to subside, Elizabeth found some much-needed stability in her life. Her new household wasn't as grand as it had been before. She was no longer the heir to the throne. She was no longer a, a princess. She was my lady Elizabeth, right? But she was settling into a routine. And for a three-and-a-half-year-old, that's probably the most important thing. There were actually some signs that Henry was beginning to regret his marriage to Jane Seymour. She was really plain, really modest, right? And that had been a great contrast to Anne Boleyn. But now he was starting to compare her to all the glittering, beautiful women at court. And he might have begun to wonder if he made the right choice, because also Jane was not pregnant yet. So Elizabeth was brought to court for Christmas 1536. And something really extraordinary happened between Elizabeth and her older sister Mary there. Now that Anne Boleyn was gone, the rival to her own mother, Mary seemed to really pity Elizabeth, and she actually asked their father to be kind to Elizabeth. Though Henry was not convinced, the tragedy with Anne was still too fresh. She reminded him too much of his executed wife. So that Christmas, Mary actually sat across from Henry at the dinner table while Elizabeth was seated out of sight. Though other reports do mention that he was affectionate towards her. Now, by early 1537, Jane Seymour became pregnant, which would have changed things for the girls yet again. While Elizabeth had already been declared illegitimate, as long as there was no son, there could be a potential hope that her status might one day be restored to her. Now there was a son, and she was just an extra princess. But as far as her relationship with her father was concerned, now that Henry had a son, he was much more loving towards his younger daughter. All the pressure was off, so he could just be chill with everybody. But when Jane Seymour died, Elizabeth probably wasn't that affected, but she would have been much more upset at the loss of her lady mistress, Margaret Bryan, who was then moved to the household of the new prince, Edward. Lady Margaret was one of the few women who had been like a mother figure to Elizabeth and with whom she had truly bonded and formed a very close relationship. At first, Prince Edward lived in the same household as Elizabeth, so she could have still seen Lady Margaret, even though they were no longer the close, constant companions that they had been before. One new woman who did enter the household was, of course, Cat Astley. She wasn't Cat Astley then, but she would become Cat Astley. She became Elizabeth's governess. She was still in her teens, so she was much closer in age to Elizabeth. Cat had also been given an education that was much more liberal than most women, and her intelligence and her sense of fun was a good mix for Elizabeth. Elizabeth, of course, had been notorious for not letting her women marry. But when Kat fell in love with John Astley, Elizabeth supported the match, 
probably because they were actually kin. John's mother's sister was Anne Boleyn's aunt. His tomb actually says he was justly acknowledged to be allied to the most illustrious Princess Queen Elizabeth by her mother's kindred. Blanche Perry, Elizabeth's nursemaid, also took on a greater role with Lady Margaret's departure. She wasn't as intelligent or as vivacious as Kat, but she was steady and stabilizing for Elizabeth. And most importantly, she never showed any interest in marrying or pursuing her own ambitions. Yet one more maternal figure for Elizabeth during these years was her sister, Mary, who spent a lot of time and effort in Elizabeth's education. And given that Mary didn't have any children of her own, she grew to love Elizabeth the way she might her own daughter. And Elizabeth also became close with her brother, often sharing lessons, and of course, she shared her Protestant faith with him. When Henry married Anne of Cleves, Elizabeth wrote her letter. Remember, she's only six and a half here, and she writes, I hope your majesty will have as much goodwill for me as I have zeal for your service. Anne loved the letter so much, she asked Henry if Elizabeth could come to court. But Henry turned it down immediately, writing to Cromwell, tell Elizabeth that she had a mother so different from this woman that she ought not wish to see her. What a terrible thing to say to your kid, right? But Henry wasn't really known for being a loving father, so there's that. Of course, soon enough things went to hell for Cromwell too, and there was a new wife, Catherine Howard. Elizabeth's status improved with this marriage, given that she was a cousin of the new queen. And in fact, at the celebratory banquet, Catherine Howard asked that Elizabeth be placed opposite her because she was of her own blood and lineage. Mary had shown disdain for this new marriage, and she was not well received at court. Yet another stepmother would go before Elizabeth turned 10. Catherine Howard's death deeply affected Elizabeth, given how similar it was to her own mother's, which by this point she would have heard about and understood. This is the point at which she supposedly made her famous vow to never marry. Royal marriages, she could tell, were a dangerous business and she wanted nothing of them. Elizabeth did become quite close with Anne of Cleves, who was living at Hever Castle during this time which, of course, was Anne Boleyn's house. So we don't know whether Elizabeth ever went to see Anne of Cleves at Hever, but if she had, that would have been weird. Anne of Cleves did write that to have had Elizabeth for a daughter would have been greater happiness to her than being queen. But then in 1543, Henry chose another bride, Catherine Parr, a member of his daughter Mary's household. Elizabeth seems to have struck up a close relationship with her new stepmother right away, referring to herself as Catherine's humble daughter. Catherine was also committed to the religious reform that Elizabeth was being raised with, and Catherine would invite Elizabeth to read the works of Marguerite of Navarre, with whom her mother Anne Boleyn had been so close. Marguerite had actually gifted Anne an original manuscript of her controversial poem, The Mirror of the Sinful Soul, published in 1531. Reading these writings of a woman who was so close to her mother would have given Elizabeth an insight into Anne Boleyn, as well as also becoming closer in the Protestant faith. In 1544, Elizabeth translated the work from French to English as a New Year's gift for her stepmother. Elizabeth may have had a revealing slip in her translation. 
There's a part that deals with the treatment of adulterous wives, with the original saying that no husband could forgive such a wife, and many would have them judged and put to death. So Elizabeth changed the gender in her her translation. So it said, there be enough of them, which for to avenge their wrong did cause the judges to condemn him to die. This might have been a simple mistake, but the rest of her translation is perfect. So one could wonder whether this was some kind of subconscious condemnation of her father for the way he made her mother suffer. Later that year, Elizabeth and Mary were both restored to the line of succession. Henry invited both sisters to have dinner with him while he was on a visit to Essex, and Elizabeth impressed him so much that he began making arrangements for her to marry to the Earl of Arran, son of the Scottish regent. This is when Henry also made his famous dynastic portrait with his three children and Jane Seymour. In this portrait, though, Elizabeth looks as if she's very meek and compliant, but if you look closely, you can see that she's actually wearing a necklace that's a pendant of the letter A. Now, this could have been a way to remember her mother. It would have been a huge risk, though, but it might have been just kind of an act of teenage rebellion that wasn't noticed until it was too late in part because the necklace was discreet, and also because it's not like they just sat there while the painting was being done. Maybe she added that necklace in a later sitting for her part of the portrait, and Henry might not have even seen it until it was too late. But Elizabeth did continue to wear jewelry like the pearl choker and necklace that she might have inherited from her mother throughout her reign. Even if the jewelry that Elizabeth wore wasn't Anne's, it was so similar that everybody assumed it was a tribute to her mother. Elizabeth and her brother were together when they heard about the death of their father. Edward was now king at age nine, though he had a council to advise him. Elizabeth probably had a very complicated relationship with her father. Despite what he had done to her mother, he was still her father, and she would continue to speak of him with pride and compare herself to him. She also might have done that kind of quintessential thing where she blamed other people for deceiving him about her mother, leaving him a little bit more blameless. When Henry died, she and Mary were able to choose some of the items from his inventory that they wanted. One of the items that Elizabeth chose was a set of tapestries showing Christine de Pizan's The City of Ladies. Anne had read the work while she was in France and the Netherlands, and it discusses female education and leadership and it was a huge influence on Anne. It also included stories of female saints that refused to marry. The six large tapestries were delivered to Elizabeth to go towards the furniture in her house, and each one was eight by five meters. This would have been in a, in a hall, a really big space, and it would have been a really striking visual reminder of how influenced she was by them, and it would have been another way for her to honor her mother's memory. When Catherine Parr married Thomas Seymour three months after Henry's death, it was a scandal at court. Mary held a grudge and wrote to Elizabeth that she wouldn't have anything to do with Catherine after the scarcely cold body of the king our father was so shamefully dishonored by the queen our stepmother. Elizabeth was a little bit more circumspect, saying that they should submit with patience to that which could not be cured. Soon, Elizabeth went to live with Catherine and Tom at their home, and some may read into this a deliberate act of disrespect to her father, but it also might have just been pragmatic, seeing the possibility of a stable life with a stepmother she had grown to love. 
She was tutored there by Roger Ascom, a well-known scholar, and also Lady Jane Grey, who was Seymour's ward, joined in. Both girls were Protestants. They grew to love the intellectual atmosphere. Her deepening faith would have been yet one more way to be close to her mother. The trouble that happened with Tom Seymour meant a scandal for Elizabeth beyond what it would have been for a normal girl who was caught flirting and having a liaison with a married man. Elizabeth was the daughter of a woman who was literally put to death because of accusations of incest and adultery. And here was her daughter having a dalliance with her step-uncle and stepfather and potentially just acting out her fate as the bad seed of her mother. When Catherine Parr caught Tom and Elizabeth in an embrace while Catherine was pregnant, she sent her away, and it was devastating for Elizabeth. She lost both her beloved stepmother, who would die in childbirth, and her reputation was in tatters. The whole thing blew up even more when Tom Seymour made a play to marry Elizabeth, resulting in Elizabeth and her attendants being held in the tower for questioning. The same tower where her mother was convicted on far less evidence than was given about her. Kat was removed for a while from Elizabeth's service, but the attendants would be released, as would Elizabeth. Here she was, at 15, already enmeshed in a sexual scandal held in the tower the same way her mother had been. After this point, she seems to have learned her lesson and she changed her demeanor. She began dressing in a more conservative way and became an example of modesty, so much so that people would compare themselves to her and say, oh, I don't want to wear this gaudy piece of jewelry when, look, Princess Elizabeth is so somber and modest. During Mary I's reign, Elizabeth and Mary lost the closeness that they had shared growing up. Mary began to worry that in the same way Anne's mother had caused so much trouble for Mary's mother, that Elizabeth, especially as she was a reformer, would cause the same problems for Mary, and her suspicions were stirred by the Spanish ambassadors and Mary's husband. As queen, Elizabeth would continue to refer to the memory of her mother and keep her Howard and Norfolk relatives close. And again, I'm going to stop this here because you really need to read the entire book. It goes much more deeper than these kind of two episodes. And check out the show notes at englandcast.com slash elizabethann to get the link to buy Tracy Borman's book. Of course, it's called Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth I, the mother and daughter who forever changed British history. For now, though, we're going to stop. I invite you to hop into the Tudor Learning Circle, which is tutorlearningcircle.com, to discuss this episode and all other things related to Elizabeth and Anne and everything Tudor. And grab your TudorCon ticket at englandcast.com slash TudorCon to plan your trip to meet your fellow Tudor history enthusiasts, and spend the weekend learning and feasting and all that good stuff in September 2023. EnglandCast.com slash Elizabeth Ann for the show notes. EnglandCast.com slash TudorCon for TudorCon tickets. All right, I will speak with you again soon. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Bye. Blow, northern wind, send for baby sweating. Blow, northern Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 